This is our podcast, We Grow Together by Gerber Finance. Hi, I'm Jen Palmer, CEO of Gerber Finance. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're the leading financing partner for companies experiencing accelerated growth to achieve sustainable profit. Here, we cover everything from partnerships, growth, profit, and culture. Are you ready to grow? Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today for today's episode, How to Best Utilize Your Bullpen. Joining us today is Jason Dinoff, founder and CEO of KCP Advisory. KCP is considered a leading business advisory firm built on the success of its professionals who specialize in providing creative solutions and aiding clients in rehabilitating their businesses. As principal, founder, and chief executive officer of KCP, Jason oversees all of the company's operations, also all of their case assignments. Jason is a highly regarded corporate restructuring and turnaround management professional with over 16 years of hands-on experience. He's well known in that market. He's got experience in liquidation, restructuring, and bankruptcy. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. As we're deep into a global pandemic and an economic crisis, I know your time is very limited, so we so appreciate you carving out some time for us today. Thank you for having us, Jen. It's a pleasure. So, Jason, for our audience listeners at home who may not be familiar with your world, what is turnaround management and who does it help? Turnaround management is meant to help all stakeholders in a situation. And I do want to be careful to bifurcate between what's turnaround management and what's crisis management. Turnaround management is assessing, stabilizing a situation, and identifying a plan for uh, restructuring, which can be principally operational, principally financial, or, or a combination of both. You know, it's meant to be for the benefit of the lenders, the owners of the company, as well as creditors, in order to ensure that either the business has turned itself around completely back to a uh, or on the path towards profitability, or if the value is better received from a wind down and shutdown of the company to pursue that or a sale of the business. But but it's it's the identification of a plan for addressing a situation. Crisis management, though, is vastly different, certainly a lot more of what we're seeing lately, which is very quickly identifying issues but assessing a plan for stabilizing, not necessarily restructuring right away. You really have to stabilize a situation if it's in crisis. Um, You can't hang curtains in a burning building, we like to say. You have to put the fire out first, and then you can figure out where the curtains go. So basically, Jason, it sounds like the difference between emergency care and preventative maintenance. Is that right? Somewhat. Um, Restructuring isn't necessarily preventive. It can be very much that something has occurred, whether that's the loss of a critical client, um, investment in a new type of business opportunity that didn't uh, move forward, or a situation out of the control, a major vendor whose supplies were inadequate, warranty issues on a manufactured product. You know, who knows what the trigger is? It could be outside of the control of the business or it could be well in the control of the business, but some triggering event that necessitates, you know, a review of the business from a third party to assess how to fix a problem. And again, it can be a profitability problem. It can be an operational problem. You said that right now you're seeing plenty of crises. 
So right now, obviously, again, we're in a pandemic and a global, you know, economic crisis. Could you could you give us a little bit more color? What are these crises that you're seeing? What do they look like? What are you experiencing? That's a that's a great question. The you know, we're, we're in the business of crisis management and turnaround restructuring. So all of the client matters that I had uh, right before the pandemic really came into light, they were already in trouble. They went from uh, jeopardy to uh, significant jeopardy. And so many of our client situations needed, um, you know, real tactical battle planning in order to stay alive and to keep lights on or to find some creative way to stay in business. Um, a, a good example is we have a client who is in food distribution. Um, his principal line of business is to restaurants, cruise lines, and Disney, or, or as we called it, the trifecta of problems um, during the pandemic since he had no active buyers for his uh, his product. We wound up you know, reinventing the business through its website and its you know, small consumer uh, buyer programs into almost a predominantly uh, consumer interface with active marketing and promotion and creative ways to do that at a much higher margin, which sustained the business, actually got them back to profitability, even though during the pandemic, uh, he also had a major fire that burnt down his facilities. Oh my um, gosh. But, but what we're seeing is we're seeing that, you know, it's a, it's a series of triggering events. Um, supply chains are very long. And we talk about stakeholders and we talk about, you know, external and internal factors affecting a business. And every business is affected by every other business. I, I always think back to uh, 9-11 and the recession in 08 and 09, similar types of issues we faced. I remember a chief economist at a major bank said to me, you know, Jason, I don't think we're in a recession. This was in 06. I asked him why. And he said, well, Except for mortgages and healthcare and automotive, I don't think anything else is a problem. And I said, well, I'm pretty sure just about every single person I know is touched by those three you know, components of the world. And it's the same thing here. You have landlords who haven't been paid in months. You, know, you have employees who haven't been able to go to work. You have inventories getting stale. Or you have companies that make a product that might be very seasonal. Um, a food product that can sit on the shelf for a year. And if all of the consumer stores already have a year's worth of products still sitting there, why are they going to buy anything in 2021? The answer is they probably won't. So th there's a big domino effect is what we're seeing. And we're constantly looking at it and identifying, is this something our company, our client can get past? Is this something he can work around? Is this something that she can come up with another solution for, whether that's, you know, she's in the apparel business and she can make masks. Um, can she rent out excess space in her warehouse facility for the state to use for a triage center? You know, what are the solutions that are available? What can we do? Can we keep this alive a certain point of time or do we need to come up with another plan for winding it down? You know, what is the bridge and how do we get the company and the employees especially back to business as usual? Because that is a big chunk of stabilization, getting people and everything around you back to some form of business as usual, showing up, doing work. It's good mentally, 
It's good for the economy. It, it's good for the companies. But it's definitely a big domino effect is the best description I have right now. And I think a lot of industry is going to be changed for it, whether that's the assisted living communities, whether that's the uh, retail community, whether that's the restaurants, landlords, hospitals. Um, there's going to be some far reaching results from this. I think you're absolutely right about that. You know, I always go go back to who would think that during a pandemic there would be doctors struggling. And yet I know, you know, I have many friends who haven't, they're doctors and they haven't been able to collect a paycheck in three to four months because elective surgeries have been canceled. Their offices have been closed. So it, it certainly defies everything I thought a recession would look like as far as who's doing well and who's not doing well. Um, I think all rules have been broken on this one. That's for sure. But, you know, Jason, you talk about helping companies go forward, trying to get back to business as usual. I'm sure you've seen it all. Um, what, what's some advice you would have for companies going through this right now? How do they keep operating during this time? What are some creative things they can do? I think that it, it's definitely a challenge for a company that doesn't have a good leader. Um, you know, I think I, I've, I've heard... Um, I've heard the founder of uh, Gerber in his own history talk about people and talk about, um, you know, managing and supporting people. And, and I think that he is he is spot on. Some of the um, most difficult situations I have seen get to the uh, finish line because of good leadership, uh, not bosses, not managers. I do mean leaders. And there are differences between all of those titles. Um, a leader is one who doesn't have the answers, but still exudes the confidence that he's going to get it or she's going to get it. Um, a, a good leader is one who is not afraid to um, get out of their comfort zone to find a solution and is also willing to accept uh, that they don't know everything and that they need proper guidance. Um, I, I do think that for those that are in the leadership role um, during this pandemic is they need to find a way to manage their own stress and distress, their own families, et cetera, in, in order to be there and to be um, a good resource and to take nutrient from their team supporting them and being behind them all the way. And we certainly see a lot of those great stories there. They're beautiful to watch. But the... the um, the key things I would talk about from a cookie cutter approach is you know, manage your business on a cash flow. You need active, accessible information, you know, dashboard reporting, anything you can do on a daily or weekly basis. Financial statements and projection are great, but it really and truly is a cash flow world. How are you going to survive the next 90 days? What does it look like? What type of help do you need? But also be proactive. Talk to your lenders, talk to your suppliers, you know, enter into discussion with them, whether that's payment plans or to demonstrate to the lender that you need to make some sacrifices. You're going to reduce some costs, but you also may need a borrowing out of formula. But get the lender to be your financial partner and explain to them that we all have some short term pain for long term survival. Um, and as long as you're not building a bridge to nowhere, you will have an audience for that, no matter what your industry is. Um, we thankfully are our food client. I just mentioned to you, I know that the lender uh, took me aside and said that this was a difficult situation and an industry 
that their group did not think they could support. And I said, I think that the company can survive. Uh, and we, we actually argued, and thankfully, someone in that finance company um, became a strong voice and advocate for doing uh, what made sense, in his words, for as long as it makes sense. And the company has not only survived, but it is thriving. It is moving forward. They've you know, reinvented themselves into more of a consumer shipment business at almost twice the margin. And it's a great outcome. In fact, I'm happy to say that none of our clients at KCP um, are looking down the barrel at a um, at a liquidation or shutdown at the moment, which is which is great and not easy to do. But how long will this survive? You know, short term planning really do that. Do the cash flow. Do the communication, but also start looking long term. Talk to your suppliers. Look at your customers. See if your customer base is too one-sided. Restaurants, cruise lines, and Disney, not a great customer base right now, unfortunately. So how do you differentiate that? How do you get out of that? And what are the plans you need to do? You know, Try to stay as, as much ahead as you can and really bring your lender in. Even if you have to hand that lender six different plans during a year, you want them to understand the situation the way you do. And I think I think Jason, it also shows the lender that they're thinking about it and and they're realistic about it. You know, we, we've reached out to all of our clients, and you know, we've asked them to re, re forecast 2020 because those plans they made in November 2019 for the year certainly aren't accurate anymore. Who who could have possibly thought that we would be where we are? And now here we are, more than halfway through the year. So we're saying, you know, you've got to re forecast and and give us, you know, give us even the worst case scenario. Give us maybe, you know, something conservative, but then also worst case. So we know what we're looking at. Let's talk about it and see how we, we work forward through it. We're particularly concerned about Q4 and, and even 2021, what it's going to look like. What are your thoughts? What, is, what does Q4 look like for you? What does it look like for your companies that you're working with? I think that's really good advice to give your uh, to give your borrowers, and it helps them to establish credibility with you, and also uh, to help set your expectations for uh, follow on uh, financing. I'm sure. I think for Q4, you know, we're we're all driven by consumer confidence. We always have been. Um, depending on how consumers are feeling, if they're at home and they're buying everything they can online, that will be great. If, if the consumer goes into hibernation like they did during the 08 recession, it's certainly going to impact the consumer goods space, which affects a, a whole host of other companies. Um, I think that overall, depending on what industry you're talking about, we're, we're expecting some massive upheaval in the retail and consumer product space uh, next year. You know, most of the uh, liquidators and most of the others are giving outlooks of being 30% down comparative to last year. You know, 30% down is like missing a, a month or two. That can be very difficult and not everyone can survive that, especially depending upon, you know, your balance sheet and your capital structure. I think that that's going to be very far reaching. If that, if that message continues to just destroy consumer confidence I think we can expect to see repercussions in many other industries going out to restaurants, um, making new purchases for vehicles or homes, 
Um, also, what is happening with the schools and other nonprofits and how much money will be turned over to them. It's it's not very bright. There are certainly opportunities to improve that. I think for all, you know, politics aside, for all the things that we can say about the administration and the various uh, bank programs, the, the triple P money did go a long way through the CARES Act to put money into the marketplace to help a number of companies survive a bad month or two, um, but also did did deliver some confidence. And certainly for some of the non-banks, uh, including Gerber and a few of the others, it was nice to see you know a boost to liquidity to some of those businesses, which helped you in turn to provide more over advancing, I'm sure, where you may need it to strategically. Absolutely. It was, a, it was a great lifeline for many companies out there. And obviously, cash is always king. And so part one of the conversations, of course, we have when we see companies who are struggling is we say, go and look at your, you know, your shelves. See all the inventory that you have on your shelf right there? That's cash sitting on your shelf. Go turn that, convert that inventory into cash. And, and one of the things we are concerned about is that companies will be over inventoried at the end of the year. Uh, and not just our borrowers, just companies in general, which will really you know, affect the economy. So would you advise companies to start thinking about their inventory holdings? Should they start moving it now? What can they do now to help themselves later in the year? And also what can lenders do? That's a great question. When it comes to inventory, you know, it's far too often, and I hate generalizing, but I find myself doing it sometimes. Far too often, we find people in love with their inventory. Um, Building the inventory, um, especially since it can be built up on unsecured trade debt, but in turn can be leveraged for borrowing with uh, various loan formulas. But especially when you're dealing with either fashion or, you know, customer-specific types of inventory, you know, you're you're building to fill a warehouse and, and really from a flexibility and from a nimbleness that, that really is getting eradicated. And the more nimble and flexible you can be, which is not a, a warehouse full of inventory with uh, several employees needing to be there to manage it and ship it, is not, certainly not going to help the bottom line at the end of the day. Having said that, there are certainly business models where they exist in order to be the distributor, to bring in inventory from various locations and to consolidate it and to ship it and to have it on standby, which is, you know, more or less being a logistics manager than it is being a company. But having said that, now is not the time to build up an inventory. This is not a time to invest in a potential outcome, it's to really focus on what is a likely outcome. So if you've got a heavy amount of inventory and you don't know how quickly you can move it, you question whether or not people are going to be interested in this. Maybe, you know, we we had a joke uh, not that long ago about a client who had, you know, shirts that said 2015. I I told him that the likelihood of selling those in 2020 was very, very low. and it certainly does give you perspective. What are you waiting on? What can you do with these? Can we recycle them? Can they be donated? Can this be turned into something else? Can they be cleaned up and turned into uh, another use? And they should be and they need to be. So it, it really requires rationalizing your assets and your inventory you know, and, and sectionalizing it. And if you've got the ability to turn something into cash that has not sold in the last few years – 
why is this year different? This it doesn't appear to be any different than thinking that this time, you know, you're going to get 21 at blackjack table. Why take the risk? Jason, I sure hope that share company isn't going to hold on to that inventory until say, you know, 2030 and then consider it just vintage and that's how they're going to move it. But it wouldn't surprise me. We've we've seen it all, huh? We have. <laughs> we talked a little bit earlier, Jason, about the uncertainty, the market, and and talking to your lender and just being open and honest with them and, and making sure that they have updated information. If you provide your lender with updated information and it, and it doesn't look great and the lender you know, is having second feelings about whether or not it's the right relationship for them, whether or not they should stay in the credit, should companies be thinking about making a move to a new lender who may be under, more understanding? Should they stay the course? Is it better the devil you know? What would be the advice you give to companies who are thinking about making a transition during this period? It depends on the situation. If you've got a client who is currently out of formula um, and has a history of losses and is thinking that they are in a toxic situation with their current lender and they want to try and uh, move on, I might counsel them to say, right now, you know, this lender is not going to get the full value of their loan. So you're stuck with them because you've got a history of losses. You've got some uh, troubles ahead because you've been shut down for a few months. But at the same time, you know, the lender is also stuck with you. They, they might be agitated and frustrated, but they're also stuck here, too. So the, the better bet is to work in between the two, which we can be. We can be that that impartial party, almost like a mediator. And we can help the company and the lender um, rationalize to work together on a plan for an exit instead of saying, get out, go get refinanced. You know, this is the collateral position, for example, now maybe you're underwater under the loan formula, but it will be back in formula. And with enough profitability and enough orders, you'll be more attractive company to another lender and we can move you to a safer place. But for now, um, we might be stuck with each other. That's one version of, 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 a, um, of a response. The other might be if it's a toxic situation, if the refinancing options are available, then by all means, why stay where you're not wanted? Um, and sometimes lender fatigue is a real thing, dealing with the same stories and the same problems and the same issues. Um, and I have found that if one person wants out of a relationship, then eventually it's not a good relationship. But but having said that, it really does depend on the situation and, and also what is the likelihood of success. And it's not hard for those of us who do this for a living to know what a lender can do, will want to do, and should do. And certainly, again, with a history of losses, a questionable collateral position, and uncertainty of a future performance – it, that's a lot of execution risk for a new lender to consider. So tell a better story and plan for the exit and work with the lender jointly towards that. So at least they don't pull the rug out from under you once the collateral position has improved. And if the company's thinking about moving to a new partner, I obviously am biased. I love ABL for companies who are growing. What would you tell companies about ABL? What are some of the pros? The pros about asset-based lending is that... 
and I'm a former asset-based lender myself. The, um, the pros of asset-based lending is there's a general understanding of how it works formulaically. It's not, it's not like trying to read the tea leaves about a credit group. You know, certainly profitability is important and understanding that it's not just an asset, uh, asset loan. You've got to actually perform, but also knowing what the value of your receivables and inventory looks like helps you understand and plan ahead with a lender. So you know that your business is going to get to a certain level, but also you can demonstrate what your needs are going to be. You can also clearly see what kind of working capital you will have available to you. Or you can work with your lender in order to fund into that. You know, asset-based lending does allow for purchase order financing, for example, so that you can actually have the lender fund the build of the product in order to borrow against inventory and then convert into a receivable and borrow through the entire process of it as well. Asset-based lending provides a great formula that even the layman can follow and understand in order to better plan out their working capital and how um, they can continue operating, even if there are peaks and valleys during the profitability cycle. So Jason, that leads me into our growth tip of the week. We always like to close our podcast with a takeaway for our listeners out there. And, you know, it's something that you just, you had talked about, you know, there's, there's so many options. There's so many unknowns as well. Even during this crisis, you know, regular regulated lenders have to exit relationships that they consider too risky. And as a borrower, you may not want to be in a relationship that you're not comfortable with. For, for regulated lenders, though, sometimes accelerated growth can even be considered too risky. And ABL is a great option for companies who are growing very quickly. And for some of the reasons Jason just talked about. But I think no matter what, there's a lot of options out there. And, you know, it's just very overwhelming sometimes for companies. So I think the most important thing that a business owner can do is to surround yourself with good people, good advisors who are smarter and who are more experienced than you. Find those trusted advisors who can help you make a decision and find that right finance partner for you. So if you don't have a trusted advisory group, my advice is create one today. Companies like KCP can be there for you to help you figure out what you need next. Jason, I'm so thankful for your time today, especially during this unprecedented times. We really appreciate your insight and your advice. Thank you. It's a pleasure. For our listeners at home, if you have a question, please contact us via email, info at gerberfinance.com. And if you like what you heard today, please subscribe, follow, and even rate our podcast. We grow together. Thanks and have a great day.